Hi, and welcome to the Tomato Timer, a podcast about learning to learn. I'm Zubair from Xenos, and I'm tuning in live with experts from around the world, asking your questions and hearing their stories, all before the timer goes off. 24 minutes and 39 seconds to go. Hi guys, welcome to episode 33 of the Tomato Timer. And today you're getting a surprise because for the price of one episode, you're getting two incredible guests. Um, Davi recently graduated from Cambridge University with a first class honors degree in law and is now working as a trainee solicitor. And during her time at university, she received training contracts from Magic Circle Law Firms, won third prize in the prestigious Times Law Award and was a runner up for the Slaughter and May Africa Essay Prize. On my right, is Michelle. She's also a law graduate from Cambridge and now a trainee solicitor at the Hong Kong office of an international law firm. Michelle is passionate about social justice and human rights. And during her undergrad, she co-founded a human rights law society and was co-president of the Cambridge Refugee Scholarship Campaign. And they're both here because they are the co-authors of a free 16 chapter ebook for aspiring and current law students titled The Law Student's Guide. Um, Dabby, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. It's incredible to have you. Thanks for having us. So I'm going to start off uh, with you, Dabby, um, and I want to ask you what was what was the thing or the the moment that you decided and wanted to end up studying law at what, what was that moment at school that went okay yeah I'm going to study law at university. Sure. Um, so I think, so I grew up in Nigeria, first of all, went to school in Nigeria. And, um, I think people who like come from that kind of background know that there's this theory that you can only do certain professions so you can either be like a lawyer or a doctor, like, you know, um, so at school I was really good at, you know, English and like writing and debate and things like that. I really enjoyed that. So at school, everyone's like, oh, you're going to be a lawyer. Um, and I don't, I, that didn't really mean much of anything to me because I also like science, I like math. So I just didn't really care. I was like, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, and then I moved to the UK, did sixth form here and joined my school's law society and got to like read cases and like have these really engaging discussions about like law and human rights and not just what the law is, but what the law should be. And I really enjoyed that process of like analyzing a system that so underpins all of our lives and thinking, well, how can we make this better? Like not just taking it at face value, but also thinking I could be the legislator of the future. What would I change? What would I make better? Um, and also like the analytical process behind just being a lawyer, being a law student, learning to like convey your thoughts uh, properly, both like orally and written, like all of that just really appeals to me. So at the end of that, I was like, yeah, I, I definitely want to do a law degree. I want to learn more about this. Cool. And similarly for you, Michelle, why was why law? Because you've talked about um, and you've shown off that you're passionate about, you know, similar to what Dabi said, social justice, human rights, access to education. Um, how does law and now that you've also kind of trained within it, how does that give you the the power or the influence to change the challenges that exist in our world right now? Michelle, sorry, you're we can't hear you. It yeah. might be. You might be muted. No. Try again. It might be uh, your earphones or something like that playing up. Yeah. You can try uh, joining in again. Would that be possible? And checking if your AirPods are working perfectly. In the meanwhile, we'll just continue. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So. 
now I, I kind of wanted to, but we'll hear from Michelle when she's back. But now that you were in Cambridge, um, you know, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, um, and law is a is a, a difficult degree on its own anyway. Um, how did you manage uh, manage your time, manage your work, um, and and stay on top of kind of all these social and and activities that you were engaging with? What what was your technique or skills that you were developing at that time? Sure. Um, so I, so I think going into it, I didn't have like a strategy, you know, and I know that that's not really helpful to people listening because they want to, they want the cheat sheet. Um, <laughs> and it's definitely something that you, that you learn as you do. Um, I think in first year I was really frazzled. If you read the book, I, I definitely do have on about that. I cried a lot and had a lot of breakdowns. I was very upset. Um, but then in second year, looking back on and reflecting on my first year, I kind of figured out things that worked for me. So really like practical tips of, for example, I made a weekly to-do list at the start of every week. And then at the end of every day, I would have a daily to-do list for the next day. Um, and that was kind of how I kept organized, like cross-checking between the two um, and kind of listing out things that I wanted to get done on both. Um, I also am a big fan of like color coding and highlighting. So on my daily to-do list, everything that needed to get done would be in red. Everything that, you know, would be nice to get done, but if I couldn't roll it over to the next day, would be in amber. And everything that like really didn't need to get done, but if I did like huge pat on the back for me, would be in red. Um, and having that color coding system every day helped me stay on track of my life and stay on top of things. So at university, obviously I did a law degree, as you said, but, you know, I was also dealing with, the fact that I was applying to training contracts and vacation schemes. And it's not um, with those kind of things as easy as saying, I'm just going to apply to, you know, this magic circle firm or this law firm. Like you have to start from going to careers fairs, going to open days, you know, sitting down and researching and analyzing these firms. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to note for people who are applying to jobs is you can't just wake up and decide you're going to apply. Like you have to follow these kind of steps. Um, mm -hmm. to make sure that when you do put in an application, it's good. So going back to like how I organize my time, knowing that, oh, I have an open day at, I don't know, Allen Overy on Thursday. I also have a supervision that has an essay due on Thursday evening at 6 p.m. How am I going to juggle this so that I can make sure that I can go see open day and feel comfortable and fine being there and being fully present and not being anxious about this essay that I have due? Again, yeah. going back to being really organized and like, having a timetable for those kind of things. Yourself, yeah. So, yeah. Michelle, are you, can you hear us now? Yeah, I was able to hear you the whole time, but can you Amazing. Hear me now? Well, now we can hear you as well. We yeah. can hear you. Sorry about <laughs> Which that. is incredible. No worries at all. So I'm just going to repeat the question a little bit. Um, social justice, human rights, access to education. These are the kind of passionate things that you're most, you know, care most about. Um, how does law allow you to kind of make an influence and a change in these things? So I think um, similar to what Dabby was saying, like law really gives you the ability to think analytically and in a very structured way. And for example, if you do want to challenge um, a specific policy from the government or something that you find unjust, there's a, there are very specific legal tests that you need to show in court. And so um, having, for example, doing um, problem questions within university gives you that structured type of mindset. And so for example, if you do want to become a human rights lawyer, then you have the actual training in order, like the actual legal skills in order to bring about such claims. But even if you don't go directly into human rights law, like both of us are not doing that currently. But at the same time, I think law is really like an eye-opening subject in the sense that, as Abby said, it really underpins a lot of what 
um, is topical in society and a lot of the issues and injustices that we see in the world right now, for example, just as um, an example, like the refugee crisis, the immigration yeah. rules in the UK, things like that. Like it really gives you a lot of exposure into different disciplines and the problems that society is facing. And so you kind of um, are able to see not only the issue, but find um, ways to solve it through different connections or experiences um, mm -hmm. or skills that you have. So for example, um, in law firms right now, um, both of our law firms do pro bono work. And for those who may not be as familiar with that, pro bono work is kind of like using your professional skills in order to provide um, free legal services for people who can't really afford it. And so um, I would be very interested in joining uh, the some pro bono projects within my law firm. But at the same yeah. time, I think in our spare time, like especially with the ebook, um, law related projects are a great way of doing it. And we've um, we've been so lucky to come across such amazing friends and people um, throughout our time in university that we can really use the connections and the um, people that we know in order to drive some change. So with the ebook, hopefully um, it can reach a lot of people who are trying to um, get into Absolutely. legal, um, like law universities or trying to apply for training contracts. And on the side right now, I'm also working with a few friends on this new project called the Access Justice Fellowship, where we're trying to place law graduates within NGOs for 10 months. And that will hopefully um, help the NGO build up their legal capacity over the, a long period of time. So they can be a bit more um, legally savvy, I guess, when um, mm. dealing with some of their clients' cases. So I think it's not just in your career, but you can also um, use like law and your experiences in it to work on other additional projects that really um, interest you and can potentially help people. Um, I think just to, to kind of like give a an idea, you know, legal fees are incredibly, incredibly high. Um, and for lots of these NGOs and, and organizations that are truly trying to make a, a positive change in the world, um, to then go back and, you know, pay hundreds of thousands of pounds in legal costs and, and supporting each other in, in different kind of courts and stuff like that, um, pro bono work is, is truly uh, such a crucial part of helping support these organizations. Um, we were just having a quick chat with Zabi about like how she managed kind of the degree part of her things as well. Um, do you have anything to add? So Dabby talked a lot about planning her time and color coding her, her system and, and, and making sure that she was always prepared for what was coming up. Was there anything else that you would like to add um, that you did a little differently or similarly um, in helping kind of manage all your social and work activities? I think uh, we, like Dabby and I function in a kind of similar way in terms of organization. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, instead of perhaps like color coding my um, to-do list, I would use like a calendar and I would um, like put in every single deadline that I would know um, is coming up. And then when mm -hmm. I look at my calendar, like the, I like to see in the like weekly view on iCal, um, I can see what's coming up and I know what in my brain, like what is like highest on the priority list versus what can kind of wait a little bit. So kind of like the color coding system Debbie was yeah. talking about. And then you just really have to learn to prioritize. Like at first I was really stressed out because I wasn't able to do everything. And like, obviously that's not possible. So you kind of learn to, for example, if, if you have an open day to go to, or if you have to submit a training um, contract application, um, maybe you can only do like the essential textbook reading for that week and then you can leave the additional further reading for the break and then um that will kind of 
like allow you to do both but obviously it's not perfect in the sense that you have to go catch up during break but at the same time knowing that that's okay and like you have to make some sacrifices just kind of prioritize and see what's most important and do what's important for you to at least um understand the day i mean weekly content within law school but also be able to apply for jobs i think um yeah one of my questions actually was about reading itself so uh, I'm a mathematician. Um, I never got the concept of pre-reading or reading this. Um, my sister's doing business now and she's like, oh, I need to do this reading before my lecture. I'm like, uh, what does that even mean? I've never done this before. So um, you've just mentioned, you know, there's a lot of content in law. Um, what is a strategy to kind of manage, Dabi? Maybe you can start off with that. Um, to do all these kind of large books and texts, um, is there kind of a way to kind of make it a bit easier for yourself? Sure. Um, so again, with with the law degree and with how you study and how you read, a lot of it ends up being very personal. Some people do things really differently. Um, and even while I was at university, it was definitely trial and error of lots of different things. Mm-hmm. So I'd say for me, what worked was um, I would go to lectures completely with a fresh mind. Obviously, this also differs from university to university because um For us, we could go to lectures having no clue of the topic because the whole point of the lecture was to fill you in. It was a supervision that you couldn't go to with no knowledge because then there there would be no point. You wouldn't have anything to say. But I know with some people at some universities, you have to do the reading before the lecture because then you wouldn't understand what's happening in the lecture. So I just want to caveat that by saying, like, you know, my our techniques might not work for you depending on how you're taught. But if you are taught the way we are, which is, you know, lectures are completely blank you just come in and find out from there um yeah i would just turn up to my lectures try as hard as possible to turn up to as many of them as i could um <laughs> i think you definitely go through that period uh, at the end of first year where you tell yourself second year my new year's resolution is to go to all my lectures like i have to yeah. um but yeah no so i would i would go to my lectures and make sure i take really detailed notes in my lectures more or less verbatim um and then i would go home and what worked for me, I think, particularly in third year, when I was trying to get through things quicker, was if I felt like a lecture covered things very substantively, I wouldn't go back to the textbook and then try and make notes directly from the textbook again. The textbook was for me to read alongside my lecture notes. It sounds really weird, but on the laptop, I would split the screen and have textbook on one side, lecture note on the other side, and just read and cross-refer and, and then see if anything was missing, as opposed to what I was doing, I would say, in my first year, where I would go to lectures, take really detailed notes, take the textbook, take really detailed notes. And then by the time I was coming on to reading the further reading, the articles, the things that actually make your essays do well, I was so burnt out from from typing up hundreds of pages from the textbook that I was skimming the further reading. And I think that was a mistake, because in your essays, what makes you stand out and sound really intelligent is being able to list out the actual academics uh, thoughts and being able to argue with them or you know support their arguments really intelligently that your examiner doesn't want to see you regurgitate the textbook and I think that's a mistake a lot of students make um, if you do that you'll get capped at like a low two one whereas what you do to, to actually stand out and to get those higher grades you know those high two ones and those fast is being able to have done a good amount of further reading, at least the key academics, and being able to understand their arguments and argue with, uh, against or for them. Yeah. So in terms of what you were saying about how to actually structure your notes, so yeah, I would text um, lectures, textbook reading, like cross-reference in like glances, and then do the articles, do the further reading, and try and really focus on those. And the thing is, you'll find with the articles as well as 
the academics don't just launch into their views, you know. So if it's um, an article discussing a case, the academics are really great in that they'll they'll tell you what the case says, they'll tell you the key judgments, and they'll tell you, you know, um, the the different uh, judges and their perspectives. So in some ways, actually, you could bypass the textbook altogether and read the article because it will give you the background knowledge and the academics, um, you know, perspective. So I don't know if Michelle has a different view, but yeah, that's kind of what I did. Yeah. Well, it seems like prioritization is really, really key, um, especially because you have limited time. I think I had that challenge of trying to do um, too much, um, you know, just trying to like, oh, I'm going to first figure out the lecture 100% before I even look at my problem sheet. And I know it's a little bit different to you guys. Um, but I realized um, probably, again, <laughs> first year was a horrible mess and the second year kind of improved, the third year kind of improved. Um, I realized that, hey, I need to really prioritize. I have limited amount of time to choose the things that are most important. Um, you've talked a lot about kind of little bits of technical things as well within the degree that you're doing. Michelle, maybe you could like, kind of elaborate what a law degree is like. Um, I know you studied in the UK, so you can give it from that perspective. Yeah, sure. So um, I think, again, like Debbie said, with the parents' degree, this question really depends on the university itself, how you structure it. But mm -hmm. um, for us, or I think on the, um, in the general um, sense, there's firstly lectures. So the lectures kind of give you, as Debbie said, a brief overview of what the topic's about. And um, the lectures are great in that, um, especially with law, it's quite a topical subject. So if there are new modern developments within the law, because like, like law randomly changes sometimes and it completely like changed the whole area within like one year. So everything that was true or like how you would analyze a case uh, would be completely different. And that happened to us in first year in criminal law. Um, so like all the past notes, perhaps from our seniors that we could have looked at that we mm -hmm. just could not look at anymore. So um, the lectures kind of give you a brief overview. And after that, we also have the independent reading lists um, that they send us. And on the reading list, there would be textbooks, cases, cases like I learned very quickly that you don't actually have to read in full. Um, you kind of just briefly if at all skim the key judgments and sometimes like the good thing about judgments is the dissenting opinion which is like the judge who disagrees with the majority opinion can also provide like a great um source for essays because then you can kind of see the critiques of the majority opinion which is what makes it to the textbook most of the time and so um that would recommend sometimes looking at those especially for the key judgments and then there's also going to be academic um, writing and that kind of provides different um, academics opinions on the law. So a lot of what we do is what is the law? So we have two types of questions, problem questions where you they give you like a long factual scenario and you apply the law as it is to the specific scenario. So you would say what happens to A, B and C after this entire um, series of events happens. And that um, textbooks and the lectures are very useful for. But for essay questions, which are the second types of questions, it's not just about showing your knowledge on that topic, but it's also um, what the law should be. So a lot of the time there are tensions within the law um, changes that could be made, flaws within the current system. So they're asking you, can it be better? And if so, how can it be better? So mm -hmm. if you're able to support your argument with academic writing, that would really bump you up to the higher um, like grades, I guess. And so mm -hmm. by reading these further reading, that kind of not only consolidates your understanding of the topic, but also allows you to really 
think critically about the um, system that we currently have and whether you think there should be any changes to it. And then, so that's reading and that you kind of do on your own, or I know some friends who kind of partner up with somebody and so they would split the reading list. And so that mm -hmm. makes it a lot more efficient, I guess, because then you can um, cut the time in half. And then after that, you have supervisions. So for us, I know some um, unis do seminars instead where it's like a larger group of maybe 20 students. But for us, um, supervisions were like two, three, four students in a room with a supervisor. And you would have um, like a list of problems that they sent you beforehand in addition to the reading list that, um, that I previously mentioned. And they would have a bunch of questions, like a mix of essays and also problem questions and you kind of just prepare brief answers to them beforehand or go in with um, like sufficient knowledge to be able to discuss these questions because you don't really know which one your supervisor could pick on um, as in which question to pick on and then you just kind of talk through the problems and those supervisions are quite helpful in that because reading all the textbooks a lot of material but you don't you may not know how to really organize everything into a structured answer so the supervisions provide you with a way to really um, answer these questions in a more systematic way. And they all, the um, supervisors are also very knowledgeable on the topic. So you can kind of mm -hmm. pick up the brains and like discuss with the key reading academics um, on the specific field. And you learn a lot from um, like just talking to them. And yeah, that's mainly how we do it. And at the end of the year, there are exams where you uh, have to answer four questions. And sometimes the subject, they um, like specify, you have, for example, criminal law, you had to do two questions, I mean, two essays and two problem questions. Whereas for other subjects, like it was like a free for all, you just choose whatever yeah. you want to do. So um, yeah, I, I guess I would, the one thing I would say about that is I would advise against saying that I'm a problem um, question kind of person or I'm a essay kind of person because I insisted upon being an essay type of person. Um, starting from second year, even though I did problem questions all of first year. And then um, I realized that did not go well, because sometimes if you um, choose to select, I mean, sorry, if you choose to study only certain topics for the exam, and it shows up in the wrong format. So let's say yeah. I chose to study five topics and like three of them came up in problem questions, then like you have no choice but to face the problem yeah. question. So I would advise um, to like study the topic very thoroughly such that you're able to answer both types and just be a bit flexible. Um, I think, yeah, Dabby would agree with that because we discussed this extensively in third year. <laughs> yeah. I have a bit of a technical question uh, from our community and they're asking, if you have taken and completed the LLB and you could, can you go to work in countries that are based on the civil law system instead? Or do you need other qualifications to work in such countries? Mm. Debbie, so, Michelle. Either. Michelle, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. Um, so I kind of looked into this. I actually didn't really know the answer to this until I researched it. But um, I think the situation is every system has like their own exam that you kind of have to take. And so um, there's going to be like a bar exam or like a state um, exam kind of thing that you have to pass. And so even if you qualify in a common law country, it doesn't even matter if it's um, common law or not. It may even be a civil law country. If you need, if you want to practice in a specific country, you need to make sure you fulfill the requirements for that country. But that being said, I know lots of um, people, for example, who qualify in the UK and haven't qualified in Hong Kong, but then they are, um, like they practice as a foreign registered um, lawyer. And so they still still can practice. There are, there are some limitations as to what they can sign off 
um, like documents that they can sign off. So I'm guessing that should be the case in other civil law countries okay. as well. And the way that um, the common law, the civil law structured is a little bit different. So I guess if you do want to switch over, I would recommend like really reading into that specific country's laws and like knowing the codes. Because in civil law countries, they're less based on cases, like the common law system is, and they're more um, codified statutes and things like that. So just be familiar with the system. And if you really mm -hmm. want to practice there and put your mind to it, I'm sure they can get there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we want to move on to your incredible ebook, which you've kind of mentioned. Um, but where did it kind of where did that idea happen? What sparked it? And what what was the what's the mission behind that? Sure. Um, so I think maybe we'll split into two parts. I can talk a bit about what sparked the idea. And then I think Michelle can like talk about like the mission and what we wanted from it. Sure. Um, so the idea um, it was kind of for me in January. Um, so I just finished my degree last July and um, I was having lots of people message me, ask me questions about applying to things or about like essay help. I was getting people from the year below me, um, you know, reaching out to me for notes or tips and advice on essays and problem questions as they were coming up to final year. Um, and I just kept thinking to myself, like, like I, I'm always so happy to talk to people about, you know, helping them or giving them any advice because like God knows I had a lot of support and a lot of help um, with people who helped me and I, I wanted to do that for other people. But then the more I did it, the more I thought to myself, these people, okay, like it's great because they get to speak to me, you know, and they get to probably have other people in their community who can, they can reach out to. But I know that there are a lot of kids all over the world who don't have someone that they can speak to and get this advice from. And I just kept thinking it would be so great to like codify everything that I know um, and, you know, have it freely accessible for people who need it the most. Um, and so, yeah, so in January, I sat down um, and I told my mom about it. She was like, this is a great idea. <laughs> and I sat and I wrote like a chapter outline um, for the book and everything. And then, you know, life happens, LPC was happening. I started a blog, I was really busy trying to see friends and, you know, get adjusted to moving to London. And the the book and the concept for it just kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and then all of a sudden in March, we were in lockdown and everybody was at home, we couldn't go outside. And suddenly there was all this free time with my thoughts. And um, one day I was going through my notes on my phone and I saw this chapter outline that I'd written up and like I made all these notes about like what I wanted from this book. Like I wanted it to be interactive. I wanted it to deal with all of these things. Um, and I was like, okay, I have all this free time now in, in lockdown. I might as well, you know, start this and have something to do while all of this is happening. Mm. Um, started writing it and then started to feel really overwhelmed at the prospect of writing an entire book, you know? So then I was catching up with Michelle on a Zoom call because uh, obviously Michelle had moved back to Hong Kong. So we, we finally got on a Zoom and we were just chatting about life and she was saying, so what are you up to? What are you doing? And I was like, well, I've, I've had this really ambitious idea to write this book. Um, <laughs> and I told her about it, told her about like the chapter outlines and things. And Michelle had so many great ideas, like the mental health chapter, for example, was completely Michelle's idea um, and a great one because we've had loads of people message us about how it was really helpful reading that. But um, yeah, so, so so when Michelle kept talking to me about it and we were bouncing ideas off of each other, I was like, well, you know what, let me ask her if she wants to do this with me, let's, let's <laughs> split the walk in half and, you know, yeah. it, might, it probably will be better. Um, and so, yeah, that's how the ebook happened. Talked to Michelle in March and uh, we made we made a very ambitious plan to have the book out by July. As you all know, that did not happen. Um, but, yeah, we, we 
basically told ourselves we were going to park it. She was going to do the PCL. I was going to do the LPC. The PCL is the Hong Kong equivalent of the LPC. So we mm -hmm. finished in June and picked it back up again at the end of June. And yeah, that's, that's how the ebook came about. Amazing. Michelle, tell us a little bit about the mission behind it. What's the purpose of this book? The purpose is um, to really make all the like lessons and the tips and tricks that we learned as accessible as possible. And we wanted to make sure that people, um, regardless of their background, uh, were able to access this information. Because as Davi said, um, lots of people don't either don't have the counselors at school um, to guide them through this, or um, there was also wasn't like a one-stop guide for us when we were applying for this. So everything, I guess, is technically out there um, on the internet, but you would have to look at so many different sources and you have to re-redo your research in order to find something that would um, take you through not just the UCAS application um, process, but also like, in university. I don't think there was much of that at all. And then yeah. in terms of applying for training contracts, um, like people would just post little tips and tricks here and there but again there's not a very consolidated guide or um or book for us to look to and we thought well we might as well put it all together because um we've also had like a lot of help from our friends so a huge shout out to our friends for being so kind with their um to really give up so much time and effort to give us advice because it really helps diversify voices within the book and um, some things that worked for Jabby and I might not have worked for other people. So if yeah. we have as many um, people chip in, then maybe people can find something that works for them within the book. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to make sure everything was accessible. And we were really um, happy to hear from so many people like messaging us on LinkedIn or Instagram saying that um, this really helped them kind of get a clearer picture of what the whole process is like. And it was really reassuring for them to hear that um, even if, for example, that they're from BME backgrounds or low-income backgrounds, that they are able to access this information. And like, honestly, to us, like that's the main thing. We wanted to make sure that people who wouldn't otherwise um, get this information um, can also get it. So yeah, we were happy if only one person benefited from this. But yeah, we're lucky that um, more people have read it. So Thousands far. of people. Incredible. <laughs> um, and it's such an, an important mission, especially um, over the past few weeks and months, as, as some of these issues get more and more highlighted, um, the fact that it, it really shouldn't, you know, we, our socioeconomic backgrounds, our geographic, our, our racial, our financial position, they shouldn't matter about what kind of access and quality of information we have available. Um, and as you've said, this is for law, and we're incredibly grateful to have you guys who've done such amazing work. But all of these very coveted professions have a very... Um, you know, almost like a a, a a locked out privileged position to get this really, really insightful information. Um, you know, even when I got to uni, I had never no idea about what spring weeks were and all these kind of uh, concepts of getting you, jumping you from one place in your degree to a yeah. landing a, a job at the end of your degree. Um, and this is, you know, it's like highly valued information that's always kept hidden away from lots of people. So we're incredibly grateful to have you do such an amazing thing. Um, but this was a bit of an international affair as well, wasn't it? Um, with Michelle in Hong Kong and you're in the UK, <laughs> a few time hours to settle? Yeah, so um, Michelle and I always joked about how the book was kind of like running 
a company, like an international company, because we would start out, both of us, um, working on different things as well. Like Michelle has said, she's involved, she's been involved in so many like core projects over the summer. So it was like balancing her schedule and then, you know, coming to, to work on the book later on when she had the time and like same for me. Um, and obviously the time zone, as you've mentioned. So right now it's one thirty over here, but for Michelle, it's about 8.30. So about a mm-hmm. seven hour yeah. difference. Um, and it would be really funny because I would be up until three, 4 a.m. as we were coming up to the, to the, self-imposed deadline for the book um and i'd be working really late until three four in the morning and um i would send michelle like a huge whatsapp paragraph and voice notes about okay <laughs> chapter four needs this chapter two needs this you need to message this person you need to sort this and it would be like a mini handover every single night the same thing i would wake up in the morning and she'd be like gabs you need to go back to chapter five and sort that out you need to speak to damian frankie our uh, designer and um the person who did the doodles and asked them about doing this and doing that um and it was really funny it was it was kind of amusing this little international project but i loved it like <laughs> sounds like a relay race it's like the baton gets passed along every every night amazing exactly. um now i moving a little bit away from the book you know so you guys have some incredible achievements like i kind of shared in your bio as well um you studied at the best university in the world you're working for some of the best law firms in the world now um and this is obviously a testament to incredible hard work and you know commitment to what you've done. But I'm sure that it's not always been an easy ride. I'm sure there've been closed doors and I'm sure there's been failure. Would you like to tell something kind of about that to our students? Because they might be stargazing at you and they'd be like, that's impossible to get to. Um, what, how would you reassure them? Michelle, do you want to start? Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Like it's, I kind of remember being in that position as well. Like looking at different people being like, oh, I wish I was there. Um, or I wish I could do that. But I think it's really, um, down to recognizing, like first defining what you want for yourself, because society tells you a lot of things like you must be this, you must be that, or you have to study mm. law, you have to be a doctor. Um, but if that's not really what you want, then if possible, like, try to really figure out your passion and what gets you going because once you really find something that you care about it's going to be so much easier to work through the um long nights or put in the hard work because it's actually something that you want to do so that's the first thing i would say like define for yourself what you want to do second thing is to recognize that it's okay to um like to fail i guess because like lots of times we're very excited on like winning every single time or making sure that we always succeed. But I think like if I look back at my past experiences, some of the biggest lessons I've learned um, are through failures. And so for example, when I was applying to university, I basically didn't get into any of the universities I wanted to get into on my first try. And so obviously the one I ended up going to before Cambridge for a year, um, I was really happy about and I really loved my time there for that year, but I decided to reapply and um, I was just shooting my shot just to see if it would work out and like I was great. I'm grateful that I was able to get in, but equally I would have been really happy staying where I was as well. And that's because you kind of like make the most out of the opportunities that you're given and to not see setbacks and failures as um, like anything to do with what you could do in the future. So really believe in yourself and like keep pushing for it. Um, you don't become good at something overnight. So you have to really make sure that you put in the consistent hard work. 
Um, and lastly, to like really reach out to family and friends and your support network for help if it's um, if you're feeling overwhelmed or uh, have mental health issues that you want to talk to somebody about. Like really do talk to people and reach out because it could make a huge difference to know that there's somebody out there for you and that there's somebody um, listening and it could really make the whole process a lot smoother. Hmm. Debbie, would you like to add to that? Sure. Yeah, I, I definitely want to echo everything that Michelle has said. Um, I think with rejection, the for me, I already had like quite intense imposter syndrome, I think, through a lot of my life, which is very odd because um, I'm very grateful to God. Like a lot of things have worked out for me. Clearly, you know, um, God has been incredible. But every time I had a rejection, there was this fleeting feeling of like, oh, like now is every day, every, everyone's going to see that you're fake and you've always been fake. Like, you know, it's just been, it's just been luck. Um, and I definitely want to specifically speak to the person who may be feeling that right now, like may have had a rejection. Cause as you said, so much has happened in the past few months. I mean, it's, it's, it's been really odd, like from the A-level disaster to the class of 2020 and, you know, everyone else in school going through all of this with the pandemic. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of you who've face rejections or, you know, seeing your grades fall or things like that are, are maybe starting to feel like, oh God, like maybe it's not external circumstances. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not good enough for this. Or maybe I just can't do this. The truth is that it's, it's, it's actually just not the case. Um, and I think a lot of getting to success is also having to pull yourself out of that and being able to say, no, I'm going to keep going. Um, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep doing my best. Even if things don't work out, remember that at least, you know, you gave it your all and you did your absolute best. I think Michelle's story is like a huge testament to the fact that you can reapply, you can get into things again. Um, when I was applying to internships, there was this guy who was working at a magic circle law firm and they would always get him to come and speak to us at open days or in vaccines and things like that. And his story was really interesting because he would always start off with, I applied to this firm three times and on the fourth time I got in. And, you know, it was really interesting for me to listen because I just kept thinking, how many people would apply to a firm one time and then a second time and then a third time and just give up after the first or second or third and think, nah, I'm just not good enough to get into the magic circle or into this law firm or into that school. But, like, actually, the, the more you try, the more you do things, the better you guess at them, first of all. Like, it's always a learning experience. It's always a learning curve. And you also have to appreciate that sometimes a uh, rejection isn't a rejection. It's actually just a, it's a deviation. It's a... Maybe you yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, just yeah. My biggest piece of advice: don't let imposter syndrome cripple you. Like, just keep going. And um, with that, I, I'm we're going to be coming to the end of the podcast, and it's been so great to have you. But before we end, um, I'd like kind of like a final word, um, either either speaking to your past self, um, maybe speaking to the one who was facing this imposter syndrome. Or you know the the audience that's listening today, um, what 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 kind of piece of advice would you leave with us, Michelle? I would say, I would say to just keep doing your best and to keep working at it, um, if that's what you're passionate about, um, and like do everything you can to achieve to attempt to achieve goals that you want to achieve, but at the same time, like. Um, while you're doing that, try to have fun as well, because sometimes we're mm. so fixated on achieving the goals that we forget to have fun. And like one of my biggest takeaways in recent years is to also plan to have fun. So when I'm planning my calendar or like my week 
I make yeah. sure to slot in times when I'm um, seeing friends or watching, just like watching Netflix or I'm doing something for myself <laughs> that um, yeah. I really enjoy because you're really going to burn out if you just keep working all the time. So try to like life is a long experience and there's so much that can come out of it just because you don't achieve something right now doesn't you'll never achieve it and doesn't say anything about you as a person or your potential or anything like that. So yeah, just keep working at it and try to see if you can enjoy it in the process as well. Yeah. Debbie. Um, I would tell myself Farabelle and it's um, a Yoruba word. It means it means calm down. Um, and I think that that's what I would definitely tell my younger self and a lot of people listening to this, because I think the people who are listening to this are probably people like you, like me, like Michelle, who have really huge expectations and um, place a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, and I think my younger self and myself now, I'm not, I'm going to be honest, definitely does and did do that. But Farabale, calm down, like stop thinking that you have to know everything immediately, that you have to see 20 years into the future right now and that every little thing you do right now will have this huge impact on your future. Like just calm down and just keep doing what you're doing. It will be okay. <laughs> That's an amazing uh, thing to end with. So uh, thank you, first of all, for so much for joining us and sharing such incredible experiences and insights. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Um, so that's all for this week. Um, we will make sure to keep the link to Dabby and Michelle's ebook in our description. So do check it out. And if you're going to join us live next week, then make sure you check out our Discord server. We can ask questions for our next guest. Um, thank you so much and bye. And that's another episode of the Tomato Timer. If you'd like to ask your questions and join us live next week, join the Xenos Discord server. The invite link is in the description. And to learn more about Xenos and how a bunch of students are on a mission of making quality education accessible to all, go to xenos.org. Bye for now.